Heather Elvis and Sidney Moore couldn't keep their hands off each other until Sidney's wife found out. For months, Heather was the target of Tammy Moore's vicious text messages and social media posts. Then, Heather suddenly vanished, leaving her car behind on a boat landing in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. When rumors of Heather's possible pregnancy started, the investigation focused on her former boyfriend and his wife. To this day, her body has never been found. I want to tell you about one of the most dangerous murderers Scotland has ever known. In a fit of jealousy over his best friend's success, Roshan Dantis methodically plotted to butcher his friend's wife. Then he faked her kidnapping to try and extort hundreds of thousands of pounds in ransom. And he said he got the idea from the Kathy Reich book, The Devil Bones. We want to take a second to say thank you for spending part of your day with Amy and I. If you enjoy the show, it would mean so much to us if you would take a moment afterwards to leave us a five-star review and subscribe if you haven't already. And we want to give a special thank you to those of you who took the time to send in story ideas. Both of these recaps came from your suggestions. So if you've got a story you'd like to share, please send it to hello at truecrimerecaps.com. All right, enough of that. Let's get to the recaps. I'll go first if that's okay with you. Absolutely. I have been following this case for a really long time, and I'm really, really eager to see what you found out. On the last night Heather Elvis was seen alive, she had her first date with a new guy. He even taught her how to drive a stick shift in the mall parking lot. She was so excited she sent her dad this picture. That was December 17th, 2013. He dropped her off at her apartment around 1.15 a.m., First dates are always exciting, but this one held a little more meaning for Heather. She had just gone through a dramatic breakup with a married man named Sidney Moore. She met Sidney at the Tilted Kilt in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. She was a pretty 20-year-old hostess. He was a scruffy 38-year-old maintenance man with three kids and a wife. But for some reason, even her friends didn't know Heather was head over heels for Sidney. And he was thrilled about it. Thanks to Twitter, we can follow along with their short relationship. On July 7th, Heather tweeted, The guy who builds things at my job makes me cream myself. One of these days, I will drag that man into the mop closet and have my way with him. Lord have mercy. And then only three days later on July 10th, she tweets, Baby did a bad, bad thing. I'm in way too deep. But watch me get in deeper. So we can safely assume things started that month. Sidney talked about moving his family to Florida and taking Heather along as his nanny for the kids. He came into the restaurant on his days off just to bring Heather coffee and bagels. But by late September, things weren't going as well between them. On the 20th, she tweeted, Once upon a time, an angel and a devil fell in love. It did not end well. Unfortunately, she had no idea then how bad things would get thanks to Sydney's wife, Tammy. Heather knew Sydney was married, but he told her he and Tammy had an understanding. They had an open marriage, and they were both free to see other people. And that might have been true on some level, but the connection Sydney had with Heather was too intense for Tammy to be okay with. In early October, she started harassing her. According to Heather's roommate, Tammy called her over 60 times one day. 
When Heather was at work, she sent text messages to her from Sydney's phone. Comments like, You can tell me who you are right now, or I can find out another way, and that way won't have a great turnout for you. If you don't stop talking to my husband, I'm going to come after you. You're going to have problems with me. Then she forced Sydney to call Heather and end it. Later, Heather's roommate said it was cruel. Heather was destroyed. She could hear Tammy next to Sydney as he called Heather names and told her he never wanted to see her again. But even after that brutal breakup, Tammy couldn't let it go. She kept harassing her. She sent pictures of her and Sydney having sex. On November 1st, she texted, Someone's about to get their ass beat down. Your bitch is about to take his last breath. And then another one. I've been having Sydney followed since January 2012. It's best you call back and speak to me. Save yourself. Hey, you ready to meet the missus? Heather responded, I think you're a little obsessed with me. I'm nobody you need to worry about anymore. But Tammy was worried because there were rumors Heather was pregnant. In court, her friends and co-workers said she looked like she'd gained some weight. At work, her uniform top had gone up by four sizes. She took a pregnancy test, but it was inconclusive. Maybe she was. Maybe she wasn't pregnant. But the rumor alone seemed to be enough to drive Tammy out of her mind. She called the Tilted Kilt so often, threatening them to fire Heather, that she almost lost her job and was told to leave early a few times. And Sydney was being punished too. She forced him to get her name tattooed on his lower stomach. And she started sleeping with a teenage boy to get back at him for his relationship with Heather. She used his phone to sext the teenager until his mother found out and blocked her. Sydney himself said she handcuffed him to the bed at night so he couldn't sneak out. A bizarre excuse that became his alibi on December 18th, the day Heather went missing. I told you, Heather's date dropped her off at 1.15 a.m. Her roommate was out of town visiting family, but she called her anyway to tell her how much fun she had. And then, at 1.35 a.m., Sydney called her out of the blue from this payphone. When police questioned him about that call later, he denied ever being there. But when they showed him the surveillance video they had, he admitted he'd called Heather to tell her to leave him and his family alone. He told them she'd been stalking him and leaving notes on his windshield. But in actuality, the call to Heather that night was for a different reason entirely. How do we know? Because she called her roommate again to tell her about this latest development in the Sydney saga. According to her, Sydney called to say he left Tammy and he wanted to see Heather. He apologized for the horrible things he said to her in October and he wanted to be with her. Heather didn't know what to think. She'd just started to move on that same night with a new guy, but her roommate had some advice. She told her not to go meet him that night, but sleep on it instead, and they'd talk about it the next day. Unfortunately, Heather didn't listen. That was the last time she spoke to her. Heather might have been moving on with her life, but Tammy wasn't. The day before she disappeared, she texted a friend saying, I just had someone cheat on me that I thought was my soulmate. You never know who will screw you over in life. I felt totally betrayed. I'm better off without the liar. It's pretty clear that Sidney felt like he had to do something to appease his wife. The night Heather disappeared, Tammy and Sidney took the GPS tracking card out of his new truck. Then they went to Walmart where Sydney bought a pregnancy test while Tammy waited in the car. 
Immediately after that, they drove to the gas station so he could call Heather and lure her out. Tracking data investigators found later showed Heather left her apartment around 2.30 a.m. and went to a local place called Longbeard's Bar and Grill, presumably to meet Sydney. From there, she went to Augusta Plantation Road, then back to Longbeard's around 3 a.m. Then she went back to her apartment before heading to Peachtree Landing. At trial, Sydney and Tammy denied seeing Heather that night, but the prosecutor pointed out that at some point before she went to Peachtree Landing, she must have connected with him because her roommate testified she was surprised to find an empty pregnancy test box in the garbage when she got back into town. Remember, Sydney had bought a pregnancy test at Walmart that night. He said he bought it for Tammy. Here's what we do know. At 3.19 a.m. the morning of December 18th, Heather called him and they talked for almost five minutes. Right after they hung up at 3.30 a.m., she took off for Peachtree Landing. Surveillance video from the houses and businesses along that route show a black truck that looks like Sydney's headed towards Peachtree Landing around that same time. The last location recording on Heather's phone was at 3.42 from the Waccamaw Wildlife Refuge area, where the boat landing is located. Police say that's when Tammy and Sydney made their move. Surveillance cameras caught the same black truck headed back in the opposite direction at 3.45 a.m. Forensic video experts testified that the truck was Sydney's Ford F-150, but what Sydney and Tammy might have done to Heather is still a mystery since... Her body has never been found. Her car was found abandoned at Peachtree Landing the next day. Right away, police connected Sydney with her disappearance because he was the last person she called. But when her worried father tried to talk to him, he screamed at him not to call him again and hung up on him. Over the next week, Sydney and Tammy did what they could to cover up any connection they had to Heather's disappearance. They deep cleaned their brand new truck and then burned the rags. Why? They said they'd gotten a cleaning kit for Christmas and they were using it early and burning things was something they did all the time. Then they started to get really paranoid. At her trial, they showed video from their own surveillance camera showing Tammy using a mirror to search her yard. What do you think she was looking for? Wiretaps? Then Tammy got defensive. She posted a long hate-filled message on Facebook saying, Sydney cheated on her with Heather, a psycho whore who has since gone missing, and other insults all pointed at Heather and her worried father who was trying to find her. She even went so far as to file harassment claims with the Horry County Police. In late January 2014, investigators asked Tammy about the relationship between her husband and Heather. She swore she didn't care, saying, I had boyfriends. We had an open marriage. It's okay. I could care less if he had sex with a hundred people. It doesn't bother me. But Tammy's own texts told a different story. She repeatedly told friends she felt like she had been cheated on and betrayed by Sydney. The police didn't believe a word she said either. On February 21st, they searched the Moore's home looking for evidence in Heather's disappearance. 
According to the incident report, the house was practically unlivable. There was old, moldy food in the kitchen, trash on the countertops and floors, and the backyard was covered in animal feces. There were multiple guns in the master bedroom where the entire family was sleeping. According to the officers, it looked like one child was sleeping in an oversized chair, another one was on a mattress at the foot of the bed, and the third one was sleeping on a mattress in the walk-in closet. Police took guns, some DNA swabs, computers, phones, and other items from the house. And according to the arrest warrant, they had enough evidence to charge them with kidnapping and indecent exposure because they were seen having sex in their car between December 17th and 18th, which is right around the same time they're accused of luring Heather to Peachtree Landing. Murder charges for the couple followed a couple of days later, but without Heather's body to offer any evidence about what happened to her, the murder charges were dropped two years later. But according to the testimony of Tammy Moore's cousin, Sydney showed him a picture of Heather's body. He said she had scratches on her face and she was clearly dead. When the jury heard that and saw the surveillance video of Sydney and Tammy burning the rags they used to clean their truck only days after Heather went missing, they found him guilty of kidnapping and conspiracy to kidnap and sentenced him to 30 years in prison. Tammy was also sentenced to 30 years on the same kidnapping charges. Both of them claim they're innocent and they're appealing those charges. Okay, so right away when you said Sydney told Heather he was in an open marriage mm-hmm, and his yeah. wife was okay with them getting together i that's when i knew like this is all going straight to hell like no there's no question because people you need to get a notarized letter from the significant other of whoever you meet that's telling you they're coupled up but they're in an open relationship yeah i just feel like it's a real kind of just a a very red flag thing for the person who's getting hit on, I guess, you know, especially if, if she, you know, the age difference when she's yeah. younger like that. He was to 38. Say, she's yeah. 20. She's like this hot young hostess. And yeah. he's like this. Older guy. I mean, he's an I older mean, guy. like whatever. But to say, but. yeah, hey, listen, I, I'm, I am married, but we have an open relationship. So whatever we do together is okay. It's, it's you know, it's kind of like a. It's like, weird are sort you of a serious? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they obviously they do exist that kind of dynamic, and that's fine for the people in that relate that kind of. Yeah, I whatever, guess if you're if you really are, it's if, like if, it if, just if, seems like such a unicorn thing. It's like, really? yeah, I don't are really think really? it exists. I mean, they say you know in, in the story it kind of comes out that that yeah you know Tammy was typically okay with this kind of thing, but this particular case was was a little bit more mm-hmm. for her to handle, but. I don't know, man. She really kind of went went a little bit above and beyond. I don't think she was okay with any form of this. No. Personally, I think I don't think it was a true statement that uh Sydney was making. Yeah. Um, honestly. I, I just Right. I feel like it's like one thing if Tammy's like, Oh, if you meet some I mean, I just I'm sorry, I can't wrap my head around it because it's not my norm. But right. at the Mine same either. time, like I don't know. <laughs> but like <laughs> Yeah, it just seems so insane. And then, obviously, I mean, Sydney was such a creeper, too. Like, yeah. I'm going to bring me along. It's our nanny. We're all going yeah, to the Florida. Bringing, yeah, the nanny thing was such a cover, you know. It's like, like you know, I'll have you come and, and you'll live with us. You'll be my mistress. And I'll have my wife. And it's so bad. I, and, and even if that whole scenario had played out, 
that would make an interesting story. I mean, I don't. I'm not so sure that would really. I feel like that's a reality. Could that really like happen? And 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 if it did work out, like for how long would that actually? Yeah. Be sustainable. And instead, right? They took it just to this whole other extreme. Obviously, if I mean they were able to prove like that they actually murdered the girl but no come on they were able to well that's because they never found the body right but they did i mean as as we said as i said they they, they, yeah they got 30 years each for kidnapping kidnapping. so it's clear yeah they could i mean they could at least track them there using that self data the location data Mm -hmm. and the phone calls and then that surveillance video of his truck yeah. going back and forth from that area and then and then their own surveillance oh my god <laughs> that like gave themselves up they're basically. freaking burning rags burning the rags that they used to clean their, their truck, truck. Yeah. yeah yeah so that's but who you know normal. that's the other thing we just like to burn things i mean who burns you know after you clean your car or whatever with a rag i mean don't you just throw the rag in the washing machine so you can use it again you don't burn it yeah, yeah. of course i mean and the timing it's like really and then the whole thing about how they had turned the GPS off on the truck, but that was the only yeah, time. Right. I don't know if you brought this up or if I just read this somewhere else, but that was the only time that they'd that ever turned that. that GPS That's off. That's suspicious. That's suspicious. I yeah. Mean, you know, to, to, I mean, sometimes these criminals think they're being smart, mm-hmm. you know, by doing, hey, let's turn this off. But what they don't realize is like, if that's not your normal, you know, Mm-hmm. systematic way of doing things. Yeah, they're going to call it out. People notice, like, you know, they're going to know they're going to know that. You know, yeah. So. God, it's so bizarre. It's so sad. I hope yeah. they find her body. Yeah, it's I hope so too. Crazy. I mean, it's it's a crazy mystery. I know. And then really quick because mm-hmm. then her father then they started like attacking her father on social media for like right. I mean, it just got so That's that's ugly. not necessary. It's, I know, it's just terrible. Anyway, thank God they did do at least a few dumb things, which is just a total gift from God when criminals Thank God do for that. dumb criminals. I've actually got <laughs> a dumb criminal in my recap, too. So oh, I'll, let me jump do. in. Take it All away. Right. This is Roshan Dantis. Police called him one of the most dangerous murderers Scotland has ever known. On June 1st, 2009, he took a taxi to his best friend's apartment in Glasgow and waited for his friend's wife, Kazbu Shah, to drop off her four-year-old son at daycare. When she got home, that's when he attacked. Roshan strangled her to death and cut off her head and hands with a meat cleaver he'd bought for that very purpose a few days earlier. He hid her body in a duffel bag and tossed it in the bushes near her apartment. Her head and hands were found in a garbage bag. It was thrown off a railway embankment along with the cleaver and the bloodstained shirt and gloves he was wearing, which just proves that he might be one of the worst monsters in Scotland, but he definitely isn't the smartest. After dismembering her, he took her phone and put an elaborate fake kidnapping plot into motion. So get this. First, he sent his best friend, Nagendra Shah, this text about his missing wife. We have your wife. Don't call police. We are watching you. If anyone is told, we will kill her and you. Call your fat Indian classmate home and sell your TV to him 300 pounds. Arrange for 120,000 pounds and go immediately first train to London. No compromise or you all die. (laughs) Okay. 
So, Rashawn was the, quote, fat Indian friend, and he really wanted his friend's big screen TV and his friend's money. So he came up with a plan to murder Cosbu, then get Nagendra's money and television as ransom for her. He said he got the whole idea from Kathy Reich's book. It's called The Devil Bones. Kathy Reich, if you don't know, is the author and scientist the TV show Bones is based on. Police found a spreadsheet on his computer where... I can't hardly believe this stuff. He'd been costing out the murder. He listed all the purchases he had to make along with the price of each item, then came up with a total dollar amount for Cosbu's murder. Items on his list included the meat cleaver, the duffel bags, and cleaning supplies. All in all, it cost him about 175 pounds to get what he needed. He also checked out library books, including The Devil Bones and books on murders, pathology, and forensic detection. They also found another list on his computer with step-by-step instructions for the whole plan. Okay, so we're talking directions like, number one, change to other clothes, number two, wait in room, and number three, finish the job. He tried deleting the files, but the police recovered them from the hard drive. After he got the first text saying his wife had been kidnapped and they were demanding a ransom for her, Nagendra asked his best friend for his advice. He said Roshan told him at least 20 times to do whatever the kidnapper said and not go to the police, as you might expect. He also told him that 120,000 pounds wasn't a huge amount of money and he should just pay them if he wanted to get his wife back. So between that and the very suspicious text from the kidnappers telling him to sell his TV to his friend for a rock bottom price, alarm bells were going off in Nagendra's head. And his worst fear was confirmed when he ignored Roshan's advice and called the police right in front of him. He said Roshan's face went dark and his lips went dry when he did that. Over the next few days, police started watching him. Two days after her murder, they saw him go into a store and buy a SIM card. Then, just hours later, Nagendra got a second text. This is our final message to you. We give up searching for you and follow your friend. Waste of time and money. You will not hear from us again. We go back to London. When my people saw you and friend waiting for police, they followed orders. We warned you, no use waiting for your wife, she not coming back. Very easy to break into both your flats and take stuff. Ask your friend about blue bag, brown hoodie, other stuff also. His shoes size too small for us. Thanks TV for giving ideas to put blame on other people. Your friend tried help you, but you put him in trouble with your call to police. We made sure he will be blamed for what happened to your wife. Okay, so those were his texts, his words, his texts. And Roshan was quite obviously setting up his own alibi with those texts. Because when Cosbu's remains were discovered about a week after she went missing, guess what? Roshan's DNA was also found on the duffel bag and the meat cleaver. When he was questioned on June 8th, he had a wild story. He said on the day she was murdered, a man with a scar on his face, dressed like a meter reader, broke into his apartment with photos of him and his wife and forced him at gunpoint to go to Nagendra's apartment and, quote, clean it up after, quote, things had not gone as expected. 
Roshan said this mysterious gunman threatened him and his wife if he refused or called the police. So he called a cab under the fake name of Abdul and went to the apartment. When he got there, he said there were signs of disturbance and blood, but no one was home. So he grabbed the blue duffel bag and dumped it in the bushes, as he was told to do. He said, I had no idea what was inside, but it appeared to be, to be a bit heavy. Hmm. According to this wild story, he was also told to throw away a broken phone and a torn shower curtain. He claimed this strange man showed up at his school a few days later and threatened him again if he said anything. When they told him they had CCTV footage of him buying the bags Cosbu was found in, he told police he didn't remember ever doing that, but he did remember seeing a bag that looked like that sitting outside his door on June 1st, but he just ignored it, and a few hours later it was gone. He also said his apartment was robbed, but all they took were some cleaning supplies. Not his computer or anything else, though. Just rubber gloves, duct tape, towels, and garbage bags. So what kind of motive could Roshan possibly have for murder and extortion? Old-fashioned jealousy. Roshan and Nagendra had been close friends for a year. They met at university in Scotland while they were both getting their master's degrees in business. But while Nagendra and his wife were doing pretty well, they were planning to buy a restaurant, Roshan was working as a low-paid football steward, which is, from what I can find out, sort of an usher that does crowd control. It took a jury less than two hours to convict him for murder at his trial in January 2010, and the judge sent him to prison for life. But that's not quite where his story ends. Roshan found himself back in court again in October of 2010, answering questions about letters he wrote in defense of another accused killer, Khalid Sarwar. Khalid was on trial for the murder of radio host Nazim Jamil, known as, better known as Auntie, at AWAZ-FM. She was bludgeoned to death with a hammer and stabbed on December 9th, 2009 at her home in Glasgow. In the letter that Roshan wrote for her accused killer, he claimed three other men had murdered her and Khalid was just a witness. When he was asked about it in court, Roshan said he was just trying to be helpful and summarize a long, hard-to-read letter that Khalid had shown him. So Khalid was later found guilty of her murder. Thanks for letting us catch you up on these truly strange cases. If you like getting twice the crime in half the time, please take a second to hit subscribe and give this podcast a five-star rating and let us know what you think in the comments. Until next time, take care.